morning, West Bulls. My name is Brian Burns. I'm an elder here at this church, uh, and I get the privilege of bringing you the message here today. So um, I had a couple things going for me today. One is we didn't tell you I was preaching until you're all trapped in this congregation. So you're stuck here. But secondly, I get to do it on a week where there's kids up on stage. So I see all the smiles around, thinking about the kids. It's going to be really hard for me to screw it up. But We'll see. Um, You never know with what's going to happen here. But anyways, it just so happens we're also starting a new sermon series this week, as you can see. And Nathan left us last week. He landed on a verse in John 13, and the verse said, As Jesus has loved us, so we must love one another. And as we began to gather here again with one another, you might ask, how do we do that again? Because it's been a long time since we've been with one another. And I imagine in the past year or so, there's been plenty of times where maybe you've thought, I don't really feel like loving another person. It's been a season that maybe could be defined as the opposite of love one another, right? So for all the stuff that we've seen in the headlines or on social media or even the things we've imagined in our own minds, we're going to take some time to reconsider how we use our time. Which brings us to the focus for this coming week, life verses. Some of you guys know what these are. Some of you have them. They're those verses that you you know by heart and that you've held on to, that you hold on to through thick and thin in your life, whether it be good times or bad. Those are those verses that just bring you life. And there's going to be some verses over the next few weeks that many of you will know. Some of them, they'll be your life verses. You'll maybe have them written on the mirrors or on post-it notes or who knows, tattooed on your own body, right? And there might be some that you've never heard of before. But ultimately, God's word is full of life, whether we know the verses or not. So over the course of the next month or so, we're going to look together at some passages that we need to know, that we need to remember or maybe come back to as we come back with one another. So will you join me in prayer as we start off the new series today, Life Verses. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for this time together um, with this congregation. I pray I can step out of the way that your message will be given, that we can just focus in on your word. And we're just so thankful for the word that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we get started today on the life verse that I'm going to talk about, I thought it was important I give you a little bit of background about myself. I was the youngest of four kids. And so for a second here, who out there is the youngest of, of their, okay, there's, great, I've got some company out here. All right, so we have, as you all know, we have the stigma that our parents are, are easiest on us, Right. It might be true. I'll I'll give it to you. I don't know if it's so much that it's easiest or if the parents just got tired and gave up. It's probably closer to it, right? But what I will tell you is amongst each other, our siblings, our relationships with each other, the youngest definitely does not have it the easiest. We're the ones that get the hand-me-down clothes. We're the ones that are last in line to eat, right? We're the ones that get picked on. I think the older siblings can't talk back to the parents, and so they take it out on the youngest kid. At least that's my experience in life. And I remember that my my brother and Tom and I used to have boxing matches when we were little. And the problem was is that we only had one pair of boxing gloves. (laughs) Now, I'm going to tell you in advance, we were both right-handed. But I want you to guess who 
always got the left-handed glove. The youngest, that's right. And there was one time in particular that we were boxing in the basement. And Tom is a couple years older than me. And uh, we're sitting there, and I'm doing my best, but he's, he's definitely got the upper hand on me. And he's coming around and swinging, and I'm just backing up, backing up, trying to get away from him. And eventually, I get to the wall in the basement. And our basement was unfinished, so it was just concrete. And I don't know if this is how your basement was. Maybe we just lived in like a torture chamber. But for some reason, in our basement, there were random nails that would stick out of the wall. Do you guys know, is that true with every basement back then? I don't know who designed that. But there were nails that would stick out of the wall. And it just so happened that I backed up to a point where I was right against the wall. And so Tom knew I was out of options and swung wildly, hit me, it sent me backwards, and my head got stuck on a nail. Well, after a trip to the emergency room and several stitches later, I thought I better find a better way to fight my siblings. So I put down my gloves, or more appropriate, my left-handed glove, and I started to work on using my tongue to fight my siblings. Because as the youngest, the best chance I had to win a fight was by using my words effectively. And I got pretty good at it. Unlike what the Bible says, I was quick to speak and slow to listen. And it wasn't just me. My siblings are really good at it too. As a matter of fact, when friends would be around, and I think it came from my dad, if you guys know my dad, uh, it started there. But when my friends would come around, they would like seek shelter because our words were like rapid fire going all around and sometimes they'd get hit in the crossfire. They'd get ripped too. And so they started to understand that they would be cautious of being around me and my siblings. Now amongst each other, we never took offense to it. We know we're kidding around. Even to this day, we know we're more joking with one another. But what I found is this kind of sarcasm, this kind of speech and, and uh, conversations didn't always go as well when I would do it around other people outside my family. I ended up offending people. I ended up hurting people's feelings, and many times I could make people mad. And I knew this was kind of an issue, but I really didn't uh, start to want to battle my words or try to go after my words until I had kids older, when I was older in life, and I started having kids. And as some of you guys know, when you start hearing your words your sarcastic words coming out of your children's mouth, that's when you think, uh-oh, there's a problem. And so I went on a spiritual search, a battle against my words and my tongue at that point in my life. And as this battle went on, eventually I came to a verse, a life verse for me in Luke 6.45. And here's what it says. It says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. And I love this verse, not only because it was super convicting for me, but because it gave me a totally different perspective on my battle with my words, on my battle with my tongue. Because all the way through my life, I, when I think back on, on my issue with the way I talked and my words, I had three major misconceptions about my words. And the first misconception I had is that the battle is about avoiding certain words. And uh, there's a story in, in uh, Matthew 
where Jesus is confronted by a group of Pharisees. And they're coming at him and wanting to trap him in his words. They're trying to discredit him. It's kind of a common theme as you read the Bible, but this particular story is found in Matthew 15. And it starts in verse 1. It says, Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? And as you continue to read this story, Jesus starts to point out as you've made all these traditions, you've made all these rules, and you can't even follow them yourselves. You make yourself hypocrites. But then he kind of wipes it all away and is like, but all this, all these rules, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And as I look back at my life in that time, I realized I had been missing the point when it came to my battle with words. See, I grew up, uh, and as a matter of fact, my dad worked in a Southern Baptist church. So that's really my uh, upbringing was from a Southern, Southern Baptist family. But I remember uh, when we were kids, we'd go and visit him occasionally in the summer. And there was one particular time where we went to visit him at church. And uh, I was really little at the time. I was, I was probably like four years old. I honestly, I don't probably remember this story all that much, but I've been told it so many times. I feel like I remember it. It's so ingrained in my mind. But anyways, we walk in to the church office to visit my dad. And so we all kind of went our own way, and I started walking around the church office. And I ended up running into the pastor of the church. Uh, and many of you knew him. His name was Bob McPherson, and just a great guy. Uh, and I walked, I ran into him and, and you know, I, I started talking to Brother Bob and, and he talked to me as you would talk to a little kid. He asked me how I was doing and what I'd been doing recently and if I had learned anything new. And, and so I told him I had learned something new. I had, I'd learned a new sign. And he said, really? Can I see it? And so I showed him my sign, which just so happened to be my middle finger. <laughs> he took it like a champ and smiled and said, oh, well, interesting. Do you know what that means? And eager to show off my further knowledge, I told him what it meant. Another benefit of having older siblings, I guess. And apparently I was, I was, uh, I was correct. And immediately I got taken to my dad's office where I learned very quickly that it wasn't appropriate sign language to use my middle finger and knowing what it meant did not mean I was smart. Now, I'm not trying to say that the spanking, the spanking I received that day, that I didn't deserve it. I'm not trying to say that. But what I am saying is the reaction I got from my dad and from my mom, it was very similar to any reaction you ever would experience in a Southern Baptist church if you used a curse word. It was outrage and shock. It was like an atomic bomb had been let off. As a matter of fact, these flames indicate it was like the flames of hell were coming up to get you if you used an expletive in that church. And I'm not here to say that we're supposed to use expletives, but what I'm saying is uh, other, other time when I'm four and I flipped off the pastor of the church, I never really struggled with using curse words. That just wasn't in my vocabulary. It's probably because of my upbringing. I was scared to death to do it. But the same reaction was not given in that church or by me 
when I would use my words to discredit someone, when I would use words to, to tear people down, when I would gossip about people, those were not looked at in the same way as curse words. And I have to believe that if Jesus is there, he would shake his head and say, you're missing the point. Because when the Bible talks about not cursing, it's not talking about words that are taboo. It's talking about the language we use towards our brothers and sisters, the things we say, the gossiping that maybe we do. It's talking about the words and the meaning of what they mean, not words that are taboo. And as I continued reading Matthew 15, I realized it brought me to my second misconception, and that is that my words only hurt other people. We all have heard the saying that sticks and stones may break your bones, but words never hurt you, and we all know that's not true, because words can be some of the most devastating weapons on earth. And as a matter of fact, as I became an adult and started having kids, my big reason for wanting to control my tongue is because I didn't want me or my kids to have words that hurt other people. I didn't want them to hurt other people. But then I read Matthew 15, and it broadened that thought in my mind. It broadened my understanding of who exactly is getting hurt with my words. Because after Jesus reprimanded the Pharisees in the, in the scripture we just read, he takes it as an opportunity to call everybody together. He brings everybody near him that's there and says, okay, I want you all to listen and understand. And it, it picks it up here in verse uh, 10, Matthew uh, 15, verse 10. It says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. And then a couple verses later, his disciples are still unclear what he means by this. And so he continues on. In verse 16, it says, are you still so dull? Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. And this scripture goes hand in hand with Luke 6.45, because it's talking about our heart, right? And it's talking about the words that come out of our heart defile us. See, I had always had my focus entirely on what my words were going to do to someone else and how my kids' words might damage someone else. And that is important, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But what Jesus is saying here is it's not just about what it's doing to other people. Your words, the evil that comes out of your mouth, it defiles you. You do as much damage to yourself as you do to anybody else. And the whole idea of being defiled, it makes sense because if you've ever said anything to someone and regretted it right away, that feeling you get, you feel dark and dirty and polluted. And that's the definition of defiled. That's what it's doing to our hearts. And so as I got to comprehend this and realize that my words are doing damage to other people, but they're doing damage to myself, it made me desperate to want to control it. And that's what brings me to my third misconception, and that is that I can control it. We read in James 3, 6 through 8, it says, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. 
It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. You see, when I would try to control the things I said, it was just that. I would hear myself starting to want to say something that I didn't want to say, and I would stop it. I would try my hardest to stop it and try to say something else. But I would fail all the time. And then I read Luke 6.45, and I realized I was working on the wrong part of my body. I was trying to control my tongue, and what we realize, you can't control the tongue. What I needed to do was surrender my heart. If my heart is in the right place, then my words would be in the right place. Both the words I say to people and the words I say about people. And that's really the two sides of it, isn't it? The things we say to others and the things we say about others. And so for a minute here, I want to take those two sides and look at it within the people that we've been locked up with over the last year, our families, the people we've spent the most time with over the last year. I want to look at how we've been talking to and about them. So first, let's look. How do you talk to your family? We know how we're supposed to talk. We've got lots of evidence in the Bible of how we're supposed to talk. Like Colossians 4, 6 says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I want you to think for a moment about how you talk to the people in your house. Is it full of grace? Is it seasoned with salt? Because I have found that the people that we're closest to, those are the ones we talk to the worst. And it's not always the words we say, it's a lot of times how we say it. I remember we had this computer that we bought many, many years ago when we were in our other house and uh, our oldest two kids were young at the time. We bought this computer and it was super high tech. As a matter of fact, it had a camera on the front of it. Can you imagine that? A camera on the front of a, a built into a computer. Well, I know it's commonplace now, but it wasn't back then. It was really cool at the time. And uh, it, as is with most technology, as the years have went on, it became less and less cutting edge. And at some point, we needed to replace it many, many years later when our kids were teenagers. And so I was going through the computer as I was sitting there, and I was looking at some of the, the photos and the videos. And I came across a video realizing that my son Riley, uh, had, when he was like five years old, when we first had gotten the computer, he was using the camera uh, not for its intended purpose. He wasn't using it for video conferencing. He was, he was using it to film himself. And I came across a video where he was filming himself lip-singing to Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I wish I could have brought this video to you guys today. I couldn't find it. It's somewhere in there, but I couldn't find it. But so you're going to have to imagine this with me, okay? There's this five-year-old little boy. He's looking at himself, so all you see is him looking at himself in this camera, and he's got the music. You know, it's the dun 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 you know, and he's like getting ready for it, and he's kind of, but he's trying not to move too much because he wants his head centered, because he wants to make sure his, his mouth moves perfectly to the, to the words. And so sure enough, the vocals come up, and it's, you know, rising up, and here's this five-year-old singing it. It was the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. I was laughing out loud as I was watching it. My son is now 19 years old, just going to give you an idea. And I was just smiling, and I continued laughing all the way through, just having a great time until 
the video was interrupted by big, bad dad. Me! I walks into the picture, and you can just see my, uh, my legs, and I didn't even know he was recording himself. But I hear myself come in, and, he's like, and I'm like, Riley, turn off that music and get in here. And then there's Riley, who's still being filmed, and he turns around, and he's like, why, Dad? You know, in that high little voice. And I, all I can hear as I'm walking away, I can kind of hear myself say something like, because I said so, or something like that. And then the camera cuts. And I, I swear, I sat there for five straight minutes thinking, what a jerk. I was like, man, I wanted to punch the guy in the video, and it was me. And I would love to say that that's a one-off, that that never happened. But I bet you if there was a video going all the time, there'd be plenty of examples where I talk that way to my kids or maybe my wife. And in truth, if a video camera followed them around all the time, it would capture a lot of times where they talk that way to me, especially when they became teenagers. But it's, you know how that goes. We're not always using the best language for those that we love the most. And why is that? Why do we use our tongue in such a way to discourage those people that we love the most? It's not how we want it to go. And so I have a, a, uh, a challenge for you. If you don't know if you do this, if you don't think that this is someone that, something that you do, ask your family. Ask those closest to you. If there's been a time recently where what you said or what you did hurt their feelings, Parents, ask your kids. Kids, ask your parents. Ask your spouse. And you have to put down your defensiveness when you do this because if they give you some answers, you don't want to fight them about it. You have to be open to what they say. But I want to use this as an opportunity to raise our awareness with how we talk to the ones we love the most. And it isn't just about what we say to each other. It's also about what we say about each other. And in fairness, I do believe this is a bigger problem with people outside our family, but not exclusively. There's a guy in my office who I can hear every time his wife calls, he's got his ringtone set to the theme song of Jaws. I always know when his wife's calling because I hear through the wall. He's right next to me and I hear, dun dun, dun dun, and I'm like, oh, well, there's his wife. But, and while he's kidding, he loves his wife. He's just joking around. But it's not that uncommon for people to talk bad about their spouses behind their back. And it's not that uncommon for parents to talk bad about their kids behind their back. And it's not that uncommon for kids to talk bad about their parents behind their back. And it's definitely not that uncommon for adults to talk bad about their parents behind their back. We're all affected with this, right? It happens. And so, what I challenge us to do in both these areas, whether it be talking about them or to them, we know it starts with our heart, right? Pray. Pray for your family. Parents, pray for your kids every day. Kids, pray for your parents. Pray for your spouse. Adults, pray for your parents. If we can get our heart lifted up to God, we have a much better chance with the words that come out of our mouth, with the things we say to and about each other. And if I stopped there, that would be enough, right? That's enough work for all of us to be able to talk better to the people that we're around the most. 
but we're no longer just isolated to our families, right? We're now being reintroduced to society, to one another. How do you think it's going? Two words to tell you that will answer that question. That's road rage, or what it's being called now, cove rage. And they use this term because the, in, the incredible increase in road rage since the COVID restrictions have been lifted. They won't have numbers till the end of the year, but AAA is estimating a 35% increase in road rage accidents compared to the year preceding COVID. So we're not talking about the year of COVID where no one was on the road. That would make sense. This is the year prior to COVID. Just in the last couple months, if we stay on this pace, it will be a 35% increase in road rage accidents. And when I heard that, I thought, wow, that is crazy. But then I stopped to think about it, and I thought, you know what? It makes sense. Because there's been lots of studies done and it, talking about the, the social impacts that isolation have on us whether it be prisoners or soldiers or, or explorers or anybody else that has been isolated or in a group of small people for a period of time. And when they're reintroduced into society, many of them or most of them would tell you that they have this pent-up anxiety with being around people again. And it can come out in awkwardness. And it can come out in sadness. And in many t- cases, it comes out in anger. These are real things that happen, and it makes sense that it's happening. And I'm not trying to say that we are coming out of the condition of a, of a soldier, that we've been in the same conditions as, as a prisoner or anything else. But what I can say is that for the past year and some months, we have all had a drastically reduced amount of social interactions with people outside of our household. It's going to have an effect And I know the argument might be, well, no, we had Zoom. And I just laugh and think, well, Zoom's a little different, isn't it? In real life, I can't mute my audio and I can't turn off my camera and walk away from you without you knowing it, right? That's not possible. Or I thought this was funny. This is what one author said. He said, the freshly vaccinated vibe resembles a middle school dance. We're eager to be with others, but we don't quite know how to act. And our dance moves have aged terribly. We've been sitting around in our sweatpants and not showering for a year. We now have to worry about bad breath and all the things that Zoom conference calls insulated from us. That sounds about right. We as a church are coming back around one another, bad breath and all. And we have never in our history, has there been a time in our history where we need to be more cognizant of our words? both the things we say to each other and the things we're saying about each other. And that's really difficult because we are inundated with a media of negativity. And we live in a culture that tells us to look out for ourselves. And we have been filled with this belief that justice is getting what I deserve. And if we come back together with those ideas, if those are the the ideas that that drive us, I can promise you that the words that come from our heart, heart will defile us and they will hurt others. So what do we do? What do we do? 
And it goes back to how I started this whole sermon in the intro there. What are we doing with our time? How are we using our time? Instead of spending our time in all of our time in media and news and social media, we need to spend time in Scripture. Because Jesus had a totally different perspective, had a totally different answer than what the ideas are given to us today. In Matthew 5.38, it says, You've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and turn away from those who want to borrow. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And I know you've heard those words because the world tells us they hurt you. Hurt them back. And Jesus says they hurt you. Love them back. And the world says they took what was yours. Take it back and take more. And Jesus says, they took what was yours. Give them more. The world says, they, did you hear what they say with your words? They're saying terrible things about you. Say terrible things about them. And Jesus says, they said terrible things about you. Pray for them. And we hear these words. And it's really tempting to be able to just say, yeah, I know, but that's Jesus. Jesus said that. He's the Son of God. Of course he can do it. What about me? I'm not Jesus. And I totally understand that because I fail at this all the time. No matter how long this, this battle goes on, I fail at this all the time. And so I want to close here today giving you an example of someone that isn't Jesus that epitomized this scripture, though, to me. And that's my mom. Uh, we lost her earlier this year to cancer, in February, and we had a celebration of life ceremony. And it was interesting because all the people that came, all the people that knew her, they all said the same thing about her. They said, you know what? She never says anything negative about anybody else. She never talks bad all the times I've been around her. And I can tell you that is absolutely true. I have no idea how the four of us came from her, honestly. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense if you knew her because she didn't talk bad about anybody. I remember this one time I was riding to Kansas with her. It was just us in the front seats and I was driving and, and we got on the subject about this person uh, that was kind of going through a struggle of their own at the time. And uh, this person had been really bad to my mom through, her, through the years. And so I was just asking her, I was like, do you ever get bitter or angry about this? You know, I kind of wanted to know, are you taking a little joy in the fact they're going through rough times? I know that sounds terrible, but I, it's, not, it's what I wanted to know from her. I really wanted to know how she felt because she never talked bad. And she just laughed at me. She goes, no, absolutely not. She goes, I'm not bitter or angry at all. She goes, actually, I've been praying for them because I'm sad for what they're going through. And I thought, you know, that response showed me you don't have to be Jesus to respond like him. And if my mom were here today, she would first say, please don't talk about me up on stage. But then she would say, it wasn't about controlling her tongue. That's not what she was doing. It's not like she wanted to say something bad. 
and just forced herself to say something nice. It was natural. And I look at my mom's life and I realize that she spent a lot of time with God. Every morning, when I was a little kid, all the way out to I was way out of the household, every morning when she woke up, she would spend time reading the Bible first. She didn't go for her phone. She didn't go to the newspaper first. She first went to God's Word, and she spent time reading the Bible and praying. She filled her heart with the words of Jesus. And when we fill our hearts with the words of Jesus, what comes out of us is Jesus. And if there's anything I hope that you remember about this message today. If there's one thing that you pull from here, it's this. Go ahead and put the verse, life verse back up, please. Luke 6.45. If, if we read this, if we believe this to be true, if you truly believe that the words we say flow from our heart, then what we must do is spend more time with the words of the one who transforms our heart and less time with the words that damage our heart. So West Bulls, as we begin to re-engage with one another, may we first turn to the words that transform our heart and give us a message that's different than the world's. May we spend time every single day in prayer for one another, especially the ones that you love the most, that you spend the most time with. Lift them up in prayer. And may our hearts be so filled with the words of Jesus that what comes out of us is Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and pray. Praise team, you guys can come on up and uh, you can close us out with a song here this morning. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for our family here today. Thank you that we get to re-engage with one another. And we're most thankful for your words, the words that you have given us in Scripture and the, and the ability to be able to talk to you and allow you to transform our hearts. Lord, we know we fail all the time and we know we can't be you. But thank you for the examples that we have in our heart, in our lives that demonstrate your love. Help us to be those examples. Help us to take your words and apply them in our hearts so that our natural response will be you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your patience. And we thank you again for our family here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.